Welcome to The Third One Sucks, where we rank every movie in a franchise from first to worst. I'm Dan Ellis. I'm Mark Bell. Gee, it's good to be together again. (laughs) Today we're talking about the third of the original Muppet trilogy as we continue to work through the filmography of Jim Henson's Muppets. The Muppets Take Manhattan is a musical comedy film starring Jim Henson's Muppets. Written by Tom Patchett, directed by Frank Oz, and produced by Henson Associates, The Muppets Take Manhattan premiered on July 13, 1984, and stars Kermit the Frog, Louis Zorich, Fozzie Bear, Miss Piggy, and Juliana Donald, among others. Okay, what is our fan review for this one? Our fan review this week comes from Rotten Tomatoes Audience Reviews, and it's from Michael P., who says, Two and a half stars. Pretty slow and depressing for a Muppets movie. (laughs) You know, honestly, we had to push this recording. So I watched this movie twice, and the first time that I watched it for this, that was pretty much my take. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm going to be completely honest, I was like, this tone's a little, this is both slow, a little bold, and also um, there's little depressing moments in there. Yeah, so there's a shift here from frequent Muppet writer and collaborator Jerry Jewell to the writing team of Tom Patchett and Jay Tarsus. I think Tom's the lead on that team. Okay. They helped they did. I, I think they co-wrote or contributed to Great Muppet Caper, but they did it alone for this one. And you can feel the shift away uh-huh. from Jerry Jewell's writing voice. <laughs> oh, yes. The writing feels very different here. Yep. And we have a different director in Frank Oz, who yes. is, you know, an accomplished director. But sure. there's a lot of slightly different parts behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So shall we get into it, I guess? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's <laughs> kick the tires and light the fires. I've never said that in my life. Let's start the podcast. So this movie opens again for the third time with a completely different premise for the Muppets and why they all hang out. Mm-hmm. This one is sort of an inverse Muppet movie. So in the Muppet movie... Kermit starts alone and spends the whole movie getting to Hollywood, where he is immediately greeted with a successful contract. Uh-huh. And along the way, he assembles his friends. In Muppets Take Manhattan, it's set in Broadway, but they go, Kermit is with all of his friends immediately. They go right to Broadway and they fail to get a contract. And along the course of the movie, he loses all of his friends. Yes. So it's sort of just a flipped premise from the first one. And in this movie, they are all recently graduated college kids. In fact, we join the film as they are graduating. Yes. And I don't know why, the way you phrased that sentence, I thought you were going to say they're all recently divorced. (laughs) Which is not the case, but that would make for a real fun Muppet movie. (laughs) (laughs) The strange premise, yeah. That would be be something. Yeah, they recently have graduated. I guess they capped off their year with doing a musical theater production of Manhattan Melodies. Yeah, as near as I can tell, at least Kermit is in the theater program here. Maybe they all are. I don't know. And Kermit's sort of like his senior thesis or his graduation project was a full on sort of Broadway review style musical, right? Mm-hmm. And the movie joins with them singing together again, I think within the context of the musical. In theory, this is a song that takes place within Kermit's music. Yes. I mean, the logic there kind of breaks down as we get into the movie, but <laughs> we are led to believe in th- at least this version of the musical, they end with together again as the closing number. Yes. <laughs> the framework of this particular musical does not track at all. None of the bits fit together. And I know it's kind of, at least from what I can tell, it's kind of a a Broadway review style, which is to say it's not a coherent plot start to finish, but rather a collection of individual sort of scenes supported by song. But it ends on Together Again, which for my money is one of the strongest Muppet songs. I love this song very, very much. It it is a good song, and it is the most Muppet-like song in this movie, I think. That's It feels so quintessentially Muppets, whereas the rest of the (laughs) songs in this movie will feel less like that. Well, with maybe one other exception, feel kind of lackluster to me. Yeah, it's not my favorite soundtrack. We also had a change in the songwriters for this film. Mm -hmm. And they're good songs. 
Uh, I don't know that there's anything that clunks as badly as some of the other stuff does, but it's just it's it's a pretty pedestrian, I think, soundtrack, at least for as far as the Muppets go, who are used to these kind of big, flashy, fun numbers. Yeah, this whole I mean, if we're going to be using uppity buzzwords of this pedestrian production <laughs> mock, I think this whole movie kind of falls under that title it like not to give too much away too early but like this movie vibes with me substantially less than the previous mm-hmm. two we watched i'll say that because i don't i mean we get a lot of movies ahead of us yeah that is fair so this is the last of the cinematic muppet projects where we're gonna have the whole team so this is the last project where we're gonna see the muppets in kind of their original pure form, most notably because Jim Henson's going to die before the next film, but also Richard Hunt, who is a major, I mean, Jim is is the Muppets in many ways, but Richard Hunt is one of like the big five. He's a major performer and a big part of the heart of the Muppets. So we're Mm -hmm. losing, you know, two fifths of our traditional Muppet performances before the next film. So this is the last of those. And you still get the sense of, like the pre-90s Muppets, you can still tell it's, you know, Jim and Frank and, and all of them having fun together and the performances still feel authentic and accurate to the characters. It's just kind of a blah script, I think. Yeah, I really think it's the script that hinders this movie more than anything else. Because, like, directorial choices work for the most part. The writing was not where it needed to be. The structure was not where it needed to be. And I feel similarly about most of the songs in this movie. Yeah, I think that's accurate. So on the back of their successful final performance of Manhattan Melodies, what appears to be like a 40-year-old college student yells out to them that they should take it to Broadway? (laughs) Yeah. And Kermit, ever the optimist, decides, okay, yeah, sure, we'll give that a try. They're going to take the show to Broadway. And we have seen historically so far... Even in the context of The Muppet Show, but specifically in the previous two movies, Kermit generally meets success pretty handily, right? He decides he's going to do a thing, and then he goes and does that thing. Mm -hmm. So I did appreciate that change. They got to Manhattan, and just nobody was interested. The reason why that sort of, like, doesn't feel subversive to me is that they're just doing the same plot that has been done to death, where, like, oh, down on their luck actor writer producer who whatever bathtub salesman i don't know goes to new york and tries to make it but they don't and so they have to scrape by until they can finally achieve their dream and it's (laughs) you've seen it a million times sometimes with or without bathtub salesman so they do get to manhattan as a family unit all of them go together Mm -hmm. they stay in like bus lockers, like the, the lockers are kind of their rooms. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was a funny gag and also a bit of a comment on the cost of living in New York. Mm-hmm. But their exchange about the cost of living in New York is just real bleak in present times. <laughs> I, I get it. It's a funny gag. But oh, man, it really. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you this, y'all. But it don't get better from what, 1984? When did this come out? That's dystopic itself. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it don't get better, y'all. Uh, them Reagan <laughs> just keep on moving. But the gag itself is kind of funny. Yeah, at this point in the movie, I'm still on board. Don't get me wrong. Right, and it gives you the good visual gag of all of those puppeteers clearly hiding behind these lockers and all of the puppets kind of lounging in them. Mm-hmm. And the next morning... They head out together just to talk to a Broadway producer. They saw his ad in a paper, I think. Yes. And how to describe this guy. This is Mr. Price, the (laughs) Broadway producer, who when you meet him just has a good, like, slick Broadway producer-y sort of vibe. Not played by Vincent Price, by the way. Right. (laughs) The initial play, again, is not unlike the standard rich and famous contract scene from the Muppet movie. Kermit's Mm -hmm. standing there, his friends are all behind him, and he's trying to pitch this producer, and the producer is skeptical, but on board. Yeah, you would have a hard time convincing me that was not what they were referencing here. Yeah. (laughs) And the comedy beats are fun. I like the, the dialogue between Kermit, the actor, and whoever the actor is that's playing Mr. Price. 
It's sharp. Mm-hmm. It's fun. They're bouncing off of each other well. Yeah, that's pretty good. He keeps trying to like shove shootings into this yep. song and dance number. And that's fun <laughs> for me. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm American and we're all numb to gun violence at this point. But that's that's where I'm at, I guess, in this year of our Lord 2020. Right. The gig is busted pretty quickly when he says, yeah, this sounds great. I'm on board. I'm just going to need like 300 bucks from each of you to sort of like, you know, pay for the paperwork, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you this. Me, Dan, as a person talking to you right now, if I walked Mm -hmm. into somebody's like, I know nothing about theater or business or saying things. And sure. so when, if I walked into this office and they're like, I'm ready $300 from each of you, I'd be like, yeah, sure. That makes sense. This is New York. <laughs> I'm trying to get a show on Broadway. There's like eight people here and you're asking for 300 bucks from each of us. In the year 2020, Mark, that actually doesn't sound too unreasonable to me. No, I agree with you on that. No, I know, again, it's a sort of familiar kind of Hollywood actor trope, right? If the agent charges you, that's a bad sign. But yeah, were I not familiar with that trope from other movies, I agree with you. I just like, oh, okay, that probably makes sense. Like you gotta like, I don't know, pay to file the paperwork with the New York Musical Bureau or something, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But another woman comes in, she's got the cops with her Mm -hmm. because she has also been scammed by this guy. Took her money, didn't put on the show. Yes. And Dabney Coleman slash Murray slash Martin Prince jumps up and takes Camilla hostage in this sudden standoff with the police. Camilla, for some reason, was the one that was chosen. And Gonzo (laughs) says, no, take me. He grabs Gonzo by the nose. Another setup here that it's fun and Dabney Coleman does well with the physicality of it. But it is Mm -hmm. very clearly just done so Jim can show off some more puppetry tricks like, look. There's no way there's anyone holding either of those puppets, and they're flailing around. Isn't it great? Right. Yep, it's <laughs> it's very much, look at the tech things that we can do in this movie. Um, yep. Uh, and then Animal tackles him, because bad man, I guess, yelling bad right. man. This is about the point in the movie, by the way, Mark, that I realize that the audio mix on this movie is but Yeah, it's not great, right? And I know that we're saying that, listener, and you're thinking, well, y- y'all's audio quality sucks ass and i'm sure. like, correct here's the thing though we are not a multi-billion dollar like industry right. we are two dudes in our office and bedroom respectively talking into <laughs> the nicest mics that we can each respectively afford right. this was like a universal pictures deal maybe they should be a little better at this than us <laughs> Is all I'm saying, because everything is compressed to hell. And so when things get loud, it becomes obnoxious because that's when you notice it. Flat lines. Yeah, it is fine when there's one on one dialogue. Mm -hmm. I noticed it, especially when there are multiple voices. So like Mm -hmm. crowded Muppet scenes, especially when they're talking over each other. You can really hear that compression. I had the instinct of like turning down the volume watching this movie more than once Mm. because of those scenes. I was like, this is too much input. My brain cannot handle this much input. It needs to come down. (laughs) All right. So they obviously are not getting a contract from Dabney Coleman, who ultimately gets hauled off by the police. Mm -hmm. They have a string of failures getting turned down by other Broadway producers. Yes, it's a quick montage of them getting just denied, rejected, and (laughs) them looking dejected while Dr. Teeth sings about how you can't take no for an answer. And that was a little uncomfortable. Yep. That's another another thing that doesn't hold up real well. I understand what he's going for, but that phrase Mm -hmm. just ain't good. (laughs) Yeah, it's yeah, 100%. It was easier the second time. Sure. Watch this twice. Because I was primed for it, but just out of the blue, just hearing like a gruff old man voice, uh, <laughs> being like, can't take no for an answer. Not so great in current year. This is the last proper Electric Mayhem song we're going to have in a movie for a real long time. This is also, I think, the most screen time that Dr. Teeth and Rolf have shared just on screen at the same time. Yeah, that's a good point. Rolf got more action in this movie than he has. In a while. I like seeing my good dog. Yeah. I like seeing my very good boy on screen. Rolf is indeed a very, very good boy. All right. So by the time they've gotten rejected by every producer in town, they're running out of quarters to pay for their hotel. And 
Kermit is sort of physically and psychologically exhausted. And he has a breakdown point where he tells everyone, stop asking me what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't think I can fix this. Why are you all depending on me to fix it? Heavy is the frog that wears the crown? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Heavy is the lily pad that wears the frog? frog? <laughs> the frog sad. Frog overwhelmed. It's a good beat from Kermit. <laughs> I like when Kermit has these moments of introspection where that aren't just like, ah, I'm going to make everybody happy. I love Kermit that wants to make everyone happy. That's great. That's mm-hmm. what makes Kermit Kermit. But I also like when he has the moments of, I don't know how to do this. And Jim especially, I think, was very good at sort of navigating those. Yeah, we we talked about this quite a bit on my other show. Jim's Kermit has this underlying anxiety to him. Yeah. And has these like moments where he like blows up and like that's how he's dealing with his anxiety is he's just like <laughs> I don't fucking know what to do. All of you look you fucking chickens and dogs and cats and whatever's <laughs> and like yeah, those are like good moments from Kermit and I this is like probably the last time we see that. Like, yeah. In the movies because this is the last Jim playing Kermit. We get a sort of different angle on it by the time we get to the 2011 The Muppets. Mm-hmm. And it's not that exhausted, anxiety-ridden Kermit. It's just sort of a Kermit who's given up a little bit, like he's living sad and alone in his weird Hollywood mansion. Mm-hmm. But even that comes off a little sweeter. Steve Whitmire's Kermit always had whatever that undertone of sweetness is where, where Jim's tended to fall back more on a sort of wry sarcasm. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was the boss of the Muppets being played by the boss. It's true. (laughs) And I know that it's weird for me, me, Dan, to be upset. Like that. There's not any bosses yelling at employees. anymore. (laughs) I know that's a wild take for everyone listening to this, but I do miss that part of the permit. Yep, I suppose technically Kermit is the boss and they are his employees, I guess. But in a lot of ways, Kermit is just very much the like the weird dad of the collective Muppets. Uh-huh. So it's doubly weird. Like, man, I wish that boss would yell at his employees more and slash I wish that dad would yell at his kids more. Yeah, it's uncomfortable either way. <laughs> and yet I still, I think, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird to navigate because I do miss that underlying anxiety to the character. And I like him being more humanized that way because now he's just kind of, and you spoke to this as well in other places, that mm-hmm. he has a very saccharine sort of edge to him. Like Dad doesn't get mad anymore. And so Kermit loses some of his humanity in that transition. I think so, yeah. So the gang drifts off eventually. They all have to go get jobs. Yeah, and this is where this movie stops being fun for me, honestly. This feels about right, yep. There are some very good independent gags and sort of extended bits. Mm-hmm. But for the next, I will say 40 ish minutes, mm-hmm. the whole chunk between the gang leaving and the gang coming back, basically. Right. It's just, it's the plot kind of churns along, right? You know where it's going. You know what's happening. You touched on it earlier. It's a very well trod movie plot. And it just sort of drags to get there. It definitely drags. And like, we're going to get into some of these bits that happen in between here. And I understand why they made the choices they did. Like Mm -hmm. somebody looked at this ensemble cast, which is what the Muppets are, and said, if we're going to tell a focus story in an hour and a half, we need to pick a protagonist and we need to follow that protagonist and their journey. Not get sidelined with all these other wacky dudes uh, and pig. And... (laughs) But, like, that's the Muppets, but that's the Muppets. But I want to spend time with all those characters. Well, here's the thing. I don't want to just spend time with Kermit. Kermit, especially Jim's Kermit, I would argue, especially Jim's Mm -hmm. Kermit, is the ultimate straight man to a cast of comedians. Yes. And he has, like, he has his funny lines, but his, what makes Kermit funny is his reactions to all of the weirdos that are around him. Right. It's that sarcastic edge of him interacting with everybody else who is like off the fucking walls so when you take kermit and you're like what if we took away 
all of the goofy people that he's reacting to and an insert just a kind of awkward romance. You think that would make a better movie? It doesn't read as romance to me either. It's like, I don't know what's happening in between here. I don't think it is romance at all. And that's one of the beats I take from this movie is I think very much Kermit and Jenny are just immediately good friends, which I like. But Mm -hmm. Piggy reads it as romance because Piggy's insane. And so what this movie is, is a forced love triangle that only has one leg. Piggy? Piggy self-serving and possessive? (laughs) Are Miss Piggy? No. I do like Jenny in this movie, and I like the the I do like it. Yes, performance of I think Juliana Donald as Jenny. That's one of the highlights for me. Is is one of the rare times in the original Muppet era where the human performance elevates bits of the films for me. Okay, okay. I like her dad too. Yeah, he is a lot of fun. Usually, the Muppet character or the human characters in the Jim Henson era are much more kind of glorified cameos, right? Right. They're here to pop in, be funny for a scene. Jenny is an actual, she's like the third lead of this film, but she's an actual lead. Mm-hmm. And she's a good actor. She elevates the film in some ways. That's cool. That's fun. Mark, like, I'm thinking about this film now, but And like, if I was doing an I can fix this, again, I'm not because I didn't have time to prepare. <laughs> I would have absolutely swapped Jenny out with a like a lady frog muppet or something oh like, fair enough yep i 120 percent would have done that and then like just given her a human oh, dad and oh. have the same dad play it and never address it could you have done annie sue annie sue would that be too weird so annie sue is a curly haired blonde pig who shows okay. up for like i think it's season two or maybe season three of the muppet show she's just like this in some ways like piggy personality very different but she's just like she just wants to break into show business and there's an entire arc of i think it's the third season of the muppet show might be second where piggy like piggy has this weird unnecessary jealousy of annie sue because she's just afraid that you know any other woman around kermit means kermit's going to go after that woman so annie sue like fits the sort of if you're just looking for a Muppet to plug in whose kind of general Muppet framework fits the character role, Annie Sue would work. Right. Or Denise from that Muppet show that you hate. Um, <laughs> yeah. Denise the, is very patterned after Annie Sue in Annie some ways. Sue. Yeah. Except for it looks more like a distinct character because Annie Sue, I'm looking at pictures of Annie Sue right now, and it just looks like Piggy, but with a perm. It just looks like... Yeah, I think she was actually just a reworked Miss Piggy puppet. I think that's why. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is just her hair from the Great Muppet Caper. <laughs> she had, like, bigger eyes, really, as about, or wider, more open eyes, perhaps. I see. Yeah, I mean, Annie Sue maybe could have worked. Like, that probably would have been fine. Here's something for the listeners. because And we're, like, we're trying to fill this episode out because this is a very by-the-numbers plot here sure, that's happening. Yep. And we'll hit on the Muppet bits and how well they do or don't land, mostly mm-hmm. not in a second. But, like, I watched, Mark, all of that, the ABC, the Muppets with the period sure. afterwards. Yep. I watched I watched all of that between our last recording and now. Okay. Because I was like, I feel like I dropped off after a few episodes. You and all of America. Right. I've come to find out, Mark, that impulse was incorrect. I had watched all but like two episodes. Yeah, just, well, yeah. They were that unremarkable. <laughs> um, honestly... I kind of see what they were doing then. Yeah. I kind of oh, yeah. see what they wanted to do. They just didn't nail the tone. Like yeah, that's exactly it. It's a decent premise. It really is. If you just give it mm-hmm. to a showrunner who isn't like a jaded. Right. If you didn't give it to the person who makes all the shows that your parents love. Right. <laughs> and the only way that they know how to do comedy is by sticking a laugh track at the end of a punchline. Then sure. <laughs> But then they try to move to this procedural, like, mockumentary format, like The Office and Parks and Rec and all these shows that love this mockumentary format, uh, Arrested Development, whatever. And it doesn't have a laugh track. And guess what? Those jokes don't work because those jokes aren't good. Yeah. So Kermit goes to a diner to say Mm -hmm. goodbye to the gang. Yes. They're all kind of using the last of their not money have a meal together they don't have enough to pay for all the meals Mm -hmm. 
but Jenny's dad's going to feed him anyway because he's a soft-hearted guy who's a sucker for a hard case, right? After the gang leaves, Kermit, who has sort of at this juncture fallen in with Jenny and her dad and Rizzo and the rat staff of the diner, teams up with them to try to sell his Broadway show. Kermit needs a family, needs a, because as soon as his other family leaves him, he's like, I can't function alone. Who's going to be my people? And he immediately surrounds himself with more people. Now, here's my question for you, uh, Mark, Muppet Connoisseur. Uh Is this the first time we see Yolanda? I can't recall. She... I mean, it may be the first time we see her with a name. She pops up in the Muppet show, but it might be when she is named. We're going to see several okay. of the rats, right? So there's a a small grouping of four or five of the Muppet rats mm-hmm. who have a little bit of like identifiable personality outside just being the Muppet rats. In a darker timeline, they gave them a 90s sitcom of their own that <laughs> ran for like eight That's eight funny. episodes and was promptly canceled. <laughs> so, but yeah, Yolanda is a semi-recurring character who, moving forward, there'll be times where we remember that Yolanda exists and then times where the writers just forget about her for a good long stretch. Yeah. Pretty much. But I enjoy Yolanda. She's fun in this movie. Yeah, she's fun. Also, she is the fourth girl so that Piggy can have a full wedding party. There was some inclusivity happening behind the scenes at the Muppet Show, but like, yep, (laughs) maybe maybe we could use more than just like three or four ladies in a cast, like, (laughs) and then like twenty dudes. This was something Jim clearly paid attention to after making the Muppets because some of his later projects and things like Fraggle Rock, you see a much better balance on that. But as we've talked about before, most of the Muppets are male characters because most of the performers are dudes. I mean, and we've seen Frank Oz's piggy voice, so that's fair. All right, so they're going to make a couple of attempts to basically trick people into buying Manhattan Melodies. And this doesn't work. And at any, all of this movie, from here until the finale, basically, are bits that don't pay off or work for me at all, Mark. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. Because they took the straight man in a comedic entourage and said, you do the bits now. Right. And it doesn't work. It, like... At best, it comes off as an awkward Sesame Street uh, Kermit the Frog cameo, where he's just, they make him do something slightly humorous. So that's interesting to me, and we won't dig too deep into it, but Mm -hmm. noting that the Sesame Street characters do show up, that's not what I'm talking about. There are several times in the back end of this movie where my notes write that this feels a little bit more like Sesame Street. So so I'm interested that you came to that same premise. (laughs) It's in a city shared with a lot of human, like, other characters. Sure, yeah, maybe that's it, yeah. But they're not even teaching you anything. I want Oscar the Grouch (laughs) to pop out. And some point during this movie would be great, because it takes place in Manhattan. And having him be, like, a garbage... Like, think about it, Mark. We have, like, Oscar the Grouch as, like, a garbage... Truck driver? Yep. Think about how much fun we could have. We're like Cookie Monster working at a bakery. Like, you could do a lot of fun (laughs) things here. You already have those characters for this movie, clearly. So, yeah, that does. A lot of this feels like an opportunity missed. The way we meet the Muppets in this movie, or the way we meet the Sesame Street Muppets in this movie, is fine. But you're right. There there was better opportunity here. I don't know for the life of me why they are on Piggy's side of the aisle at the end of this movie. (laughs) And that irks me for some reason. Because Kermit has the crossover with them being both on the Muppets and on Sesame Street. So it just makes sense to me that they should be on his side of the aisle anyway. How much do we want to talk about these attempts to sell Muppets uh, Manhattan Melodies? I mean, none of them are good. He walks in and he does the typical, like, hey, doll, here's the thing. Oh, no, we go way back. Oh, I'm right. selling this thing. And then I'm walking in. Hey, doll, don't change a thing. I love your hair. I love the desk. I love your right. face. <laughs> Take this thing. I'm out of here. And then he, he gets thrown in the trash. And then <laughs> that's that whole first bet. And it's as bad as it sounded when I did it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is fun listening to Jim Lampoon, that specific voice. But that is the only mm-hmm. fun part of that is listening to Jim do the dumb voice. The yes. entire premise is flawed to start with and 
from a writing perspective, they don't add anything that makes it funny. The only thing that even lifts it a little is Jim Henson is just a charismatic performer. <laughs> I, and that whole bit could have been done over the phone, Mark. He could have yep. just done the voice over the phone and been like, I got this great thing to sell you. I got to send it. I sent it in to you. It's waiting at your door. It's going to be the block. Like have him call from like a payphone and leave right. it like in the mail. You can do that whole bit without having to like, I don't know, every bit in this movie pretty much does not land for me at all. It comes and it goes and I go, okay. The next one is they try to start what's called a whisper campaign, right? Uh-huh. So Kermit goes into some famous New York restaurant where they put up pictures of all of their famous guests. Mm-hmm. Which is a thing that happens. Actual restaurants, I don't know if this is a real restaurant, but actual restaurants do do this. Like if famous people stop in, they take pictures and put them on the wall. Yes. So Kermit just takes in his own picture, but dressed like a like a Hollywood mogul. Yes. And then he sits under his picture and the rats sneak around under the tables and start a literal whisper campaign about Kermit. Hey, isn't that the yeah. the, the Broadway producer, the famous writer, Kermit? But the bit just ends like it's self-sabotaging. The bit, the bit is... ends because Liza Minnelli shows up and is mad that her picture was taken down. It's the weirdest thing. Listen, I know Liza Minnelli is hot right now. Like, I get it. <laughs> yeah. But it's still very weird. <laughs> yeah, like, here's the thing. Like... The construction of this bit up into the point where Kermit walks in and he's wearing the ridiculous costume and he looks like a 1970s pimp, but in the 80s. He does. And they put his picture up there. This is all a very fun Muppet show bit for me so far, right? Yep. Yep. And he has the picture up and then the rats go out and they're going to whisper and stuff to it. And you could have had that derail and go poorly any number of ways. But instead, they just decide to make the rats, I guess, stupid and hungry. Yeah. And they climb out from under the table and start eating people's food. Yep. There's a version of this scene that plays like the Dubonnet Club in Mm -hmm. Muppet Caper. And that's much better, where it's just like, yeah, here is a premise for us to be silly and have fun. Yes. And you're right. They went, the comedy is just very soft, right? Like, ah, they're rats, so they'll eat the food and then people will be grossed out. And how uh-huh. are we going to end this bit? I don't know. Just have Liza Minnelli walk in. Liza Minnelli's there and she's upset that her picture's not on the wall. And then there's rats everywhere <laughs> and they get tossed out. And yep. Once again, the best part of this entire bit is just watching Jim Henson as Kermit. Yeah. But Jim is never bad as Kermit in this movie, but Kermit is bad in a comedic role. So yep, like, absolutely. even though Kermit feels like Kermit and is doing things Kermit would probably try and do, it's like the put upon dad character isn't fun trying to be funny. He's just no. like, <laughs> it just feels try hard, Mark. Yep. Yep. I agree completely. Well, we're the same person. So <laughs> My biggest complaint with this movie from the beginning, and you know, I'm sure we'll get to it when we're ranking is. There's not enough of the rest of the Muppets. Like we go uh, me too. 35 minutes of this film where it's Kermit and a little bit of Piggy and thankfully Rizzo, who is there to, to have a little fun at least. Again, I didn't have time to do an I can fix this, but what if most of the other Muppet performers ended up working at like a local circus troupe? Yeah. And so they were all together <laughs> and like they could all do basically the jobs they were doing elsewhere, except for the thing with Fozzie, where I guess he's just cuddling with another bear off in a cave somewhere, <laughs> which is absurd because we all know a bear's natural habitat is a Studebaker. It's a Studebaker, right. Yeah. So, But it does give us the bear template that will eventually provide Bobo from a puppeting Bobo, perspective. Yes. So. I, was, I was upset Bobo was nowhere to be seen because I love Bobo. <laughs> and when I was watching that Muppet show for ABC, the ABC, the Muppets, with yep. a period after it. Bobo was my favorite part of that show. Yeah. Because he yeah. worked so well in that setting where he's just like, are you all right there? How are you doing there, buddy? <laughs> yeah. Like, I love Bobo so much. He's so pure <laughs> and good. I have argued many times that Bill Beretta is the bridge that keeps the Muppets alive until the new performers figure out what they're doing. And of course, Dave Goals continuing to be Gonzo. Of course. Uh, but I really think Bill is like the guy... In the new Muppets, he's the guy who's figured it out the most. Like, he's created his own new characters. He's figured out how to make them funny on their own. I really like what Bill Barrett is up to. But yeah, no Bobo yet. Unfortunately, no Bobo yet. All right, so we're going to get a sequence of letters from the other Muppets 
as they write to Kermit to tell him what they're up to. So Scooter's working in a movie theater in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Swedish chef and New Zealand are there, who interestingly were not part of the college gang in this film. Again, all of this could have been done as like circus performers. They could have been selling selling tickets to New Zealand's act. And what are the other ones worth mentioning? The Electric Mayhem are in Pittsburgh doing like lounge gigs. Yeah. Gonzo's in Michigan. Doing the Gonzo thing. Oh, uh, Rolf is operating a dog kennel, which is weirdly dark. Yeah, it's a choice. There's a way you could go about it that could make it fun and sardonic and like good. And like they almost get there with it to where they balance that. But it is a pretty dark premise that he's just like, I'll lock up my fellow kind for a living. They pulled it back a bit when the stinger was that Rolf was also lonely and wanted to go home too. (laughs) That I think helped redeem it a little bit. Yeah, me too. Oh, So... Each of those characters, and as far as I can tell, these letters are written in just to remind us that the other Muppets exist and to give them a moment to be funny. Yeah. And this is some of the best stuff in the movie. Like, hey, remember all of these other funny characters? They're doing funny things. Like, oh, can we watch them do funny things? Not really. Let's get back to Sad Kermit. And they're already an acting troupe. Like, there's so... I really think, like, a circus thing would have been a great way to go with them. I think a circus thing would be a good way to go. I have a premise that I've often thought about that I think would be fun, but I'm going to sit on that because we're going to use it for a five minute. I can fix this. Ooh. So there's a teaser for 15 minutes from now. <laughs> oh, nice. For this episode. I'm excited. And we get to use the stinger. <laughs> yeah, man. I, that, that stinger is one of my favorite things about our show. All right. So we get all these letters from the gang. It's fine. Jenny and Kermit are growing close as friends. I would posit again. I don't I don't pick up on any romantic tension between either of them, but Piggy does. Piggy certainly picks up on romantic tension here. Maybe. I think it's one-sided from Jenny, if anything. That could could be true. Jenny might have a little bit of a crush on Kermit. Yeah, and I only say that because of one one reaction that she has in this entire movie. (laughs) Otherwise, I would read it purely as friendship. He is a brooding artist type just out of college who came to New York to make it big, so sure. Of course, the put-upon clothes designer waitress is going to want to hook up with him. (laughs) That's the movie. We do learn that Piggy has stayed in New York, ostensibly to kind of keep an eye on Kermit. Yeah, I guess. Uh, But, like, keep an eye on him quickly shifts from make sure he's okay to, like, dress up like a dragnet spy and watch him from the bushes. It's it's called stalking, Mark. You may have heard of it. She's stalking him. And this comes to a head... When her purse is stolen by Gregory Hines on roller skates. No, no, no. It's not the the person on roller skates. It's just, it's somebody else who just. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Gregory Hines just like gets involved later. Yeah. He's just there. So Piggy chases down the purse thief, gets her purse back. We are treated to another body double in a costume of Piggy. Yes. I. It's so bad. It's really bad. I don't know why they did it again. It was bad last time. This was in the 1980s. Tell me why they could not have put a smaller human being in one of those costumes, whether it was a child actor or somebody. Yeah. You know what? Kids are good at roller skating. You know who loves roller skating? Children. Yeah. (laughs) You probably wouldn't have even had to pay them. Hollywood, you know how you like not paying people properly? Could have got away with free child labor. You could have just been like, you want to wear a Miss Piggy outfit and be in a movie, kid? And they would have said, hell yeah, at that point in time. Yep. Because they just got out of the Goonies and they learned to cuss. We just get a weird, full-grown adult in a Miss Piggy costume. Oh, it's so bad. I never... That's going to haunt my dreams, Mark. (laughs) The human-sized Miss Piggy is an uncanny reaction I have to it. I don't like it. (laughs) So she does eventually... I think quite literally crash into Jenny and Kermit, right? She like beats up the dude. The right. dude gets taken away by the cops and is like, she stole my purse. And he's like, sure, buddy. Right. <laughs> Men with purses is funny. Right. It's the 80s. <laughs> uh, there's a few of those jokes in this movie. That there are, are just like, yep. they're right on the edge of being inappropriate. They're just, they're like right there on the line. Then she, like, sees them and tries to run away, but then it's a bad cut. It's the worst cut of the movie. Yeah, that's, that's true. right. That's right. Them catching up to her. That's what it was. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Piggy is just straight up gaslighting and emotionally manipulating Kermit in this one. 
I mean, that's what she does, Mark. That's like, yep. she do be doing that. She does something terrible and then she gaslights Kermit. Yep. <laughs> Into apologizing to her about it. Oh, I do not like this character, y'all. <laughs> but it does give us a fun moment with Gregory Hines, who yes. is here to look good in shorts and to weirdly 100%. attempt to soften this argument between Kermit and Faye. He just gets himself emotionally invested in this argument. Yeah, he gets oddly emotionally invested trying to get his roller skates back. Which yep. was apparently very important to him starting off. But then, <laughs> no, yep. we come to find out he just really likes to run around in shorts. He just wants yep. an excuse to run around in shorts. And like, good for him because he's rocking those shorts. Yeah, who can blame him? 1980s Gregory Hines is like, that's Pete Gregory Hines right there. That is a good looking man. That's the sort of Hines that you take down off the shelf and you want to squeeze on your hot dog. <laughs> that came out a little more lewd than intended, but honestly, not much, listener. <laughs> So ultimately, Piggy and Kermit sort of reconcile. It's going to be a little bit before Jenny and Piggy manage to connect, but we'll get there. Uh-huh. I am eternally mad that Jenny is not the additional bridesmaid in the actual performance. I know it's all Muppets that are performing, but there's a human minister. Jenny could have been on stage. Now, who is the bridesmaid? Because my brain turns off. Pretty much whenever I see that the Sesame Street cast is not on Kermit's side, my brain right. shuts off. <laughs> It is Janet, Camilla, and Yolanda. Okay, it should be Janice, so good. Yeah, yeah, Janice is great. Good choice for Janice. Uh, And Camilla, of course, is like... Right. She is the other strong female character of the Muppets, weirdly. Yeah, the one with no real speaking lines. Right. that one. (laughs) And then Yolanda got tossed in there, presumably because she is the other girl in this movie. (laughs) Yep, sure did. Okay, so Piggy takes a job at the diner while they continue to sort of try to get the show produced. And eventually, when another round of letters come in, uh, some from his friends checking in, this is where we hear what Gonzo was up to, for instance, there's also a letter from a producer who says, hey, I read your script, sounds hot, let's do business. And when Kermit goes to meet him, we find out it's actually the son of a rich Hollywood producer who has promised, the producer has promised his son that he can have one shot, like, you know, you pick the show and I'll I'll give you one, you know, see if you can make it. And he says, I want the one what was written by a frog. Yeah, of course. <laughs> His dad is a very, again, cast very stereotypically to just be like a rich Hollywood elite type. I know we're in New York, but it's very much that kind yeah. of like scummy yeah. feeling, big money Hollywood guy. He's classist. You can say he's classist. It's That's, okay. Thank you. That is the word. I, it's too early in the morning. My brain wasn't getting there. Classist is exactly it. It's what, I mean, among other ists, because he does come <laughs> in and see his son talking to uh, a frog and is like, it better not be your boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The kid does tell his dad, like, look, you promised me one show. This is the one I'm picking. And his dad's like, all right, fine, whatever. Make your show. You have two weeks. Hurry up and fail so that I can tell all my friends that you're a failure. I'm giving you the least possible chance of success so that I can pat myself on the back and feel good about myself and say, well, I tried, but the boy just doesn't have it in him. Now, Kermit, excited, calls the diner, tells Jenny, uh-huh. and then just immediately gets hit by a car. Mark. Okay, Mark, I know that you like Bill the Frog, the frog who, for some reason, unbeknownst to us or God, has ears. Yeah, I do. I like Bill. Uh, But this part of the movie sucks. (laughs) This part of the movie sucks, bud. (laughs) So Kermit gets amnesia. There's a very strange scene with the doctor who looks like she's making a real aggressive sexual pass at him for a minute. It's uh, something happened. She definitely puts his feet behind his head. Yep. And then tells him he has amnesia. I don't think that we're supposed to infer that she's making a pass at him, but she do have top energy. So Yeah, well, it is a gender reversal of a very familiar trope that's used in like those real garbage like NCIS shows and whatnot. Like, hey, I'm a doctor. Problem with your head? Better take all your clothes off, huh? Yeah, it's, uh, I'm glad that you said NCIS shows, because I straight up just heard funky bass lines playing in my head when you're like, (laughs) as you might see in like a cheap, anyway. The other seedy Hollywood industry, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know. (laughs) So yeah, Kermit's got amnesia. The doctor says, well, probably never coming back, better just go make a new life. Yeah, and she's like, we think you're this Italian person, or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. 
And so Kermit just goes to a like an employment agency to get help finding a job and picks the wrong office and walks into what is, in fact, an advertising agency. And there are three frogs who are desperate to create a new slogan for the bars of soap that they have to sell. Yes. And they can't because they're bad at their jobs and also because marketing and advertising is a ghoulish, soulless industry. Uh, Correct. And Kermit says, why don't you just say it, you know, Ocean Breeze soap will get you clean. And they're all over the moon about this is one of those scenes that to me feels very Sesame Street. I don't know why, but the interplay of these three frog puppets feels much more Sesame Street to me. It does. And like, here's the thing. The first time I saw this movie, or at least the first time that I saw this growing up, like as an adult, as as a big boy, when I had my big boy pants on and I watched a puppet movie, (laughs) when I saw this, that bit about like just telling them what the product does. No one's ever tried that before. That landed for me. Sure. Subsequent watches, it does not. (laughs) It's fine. It works once, and that's it. I love Bill the Frog's proposed slogan, and it's the dumbest, worst joke. Oh, yes. But it really uh, gets me every time, because his slogan is Ocean Breeze Soap. It's just like taking an ocean cruise, only there's no boat, and you don't actually go anywhere. Yes. (laughs) Seems a bit long. Which would have been the only other way to open this podcast when we were were cramming a quote in there. (laughs) So the reason I like the ad agency, aside from the fact that everything about that absurd slogan delights me, is it is, to me, a beautiful riff from Jim on how he imagines like most of white collar America to be because it's just the like even the frogs themselves are like real drab colors they're all wearing gray suits and they're all just mm-hmm. wandering around going like hmm I wonder what we should do oh we'll try a new place for lunch today Bill right they are all very right, very self-aware that they are adding nothing to society whatsoever <laughs> yeah they're meant to be cookie cutter they're supposed to be the row homes of people <laughs> yep it's <laughs> It's just three of the same person. Yep. And listen, I've worked in a white collar jobs most of my life and I've had some really great coworkers, but the exchange of like, Hey, good meeting. I appreciated the spreadsheets. Nice flow chart. Where are we going to eat lunch today? Like that is 90% of every conversation I've ever had in an office. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but really they are just there to, I think, fill some time because honestly, this movie didn't like it had its premise. But I think they realized here, like, oh, well, we got we to gotta get 15 more minutes in for this to be a feature-length film. There's like 20 minutes left of the movie here in the third act. And they're just like, what if we give our main character amnesia out of nowhere? Why? Why did you? Why? <laughs> Who thought this was a good idea? You know what we could have filled up that 20 minutes with earlier in this movie, Mark? Literally any other Muppet. Yep. <laughs> so the rest of the gang does come together. Uh, Jenny's dad calls them all or writes them all rather to tell them to come back to town. No, he calls and all the Muppets come back to town. They meet up with Jenny and Piggy and the producer. They have two weeks to get the show together. And so they start staging the show with Jenny doing costumes while looking for Kermit. And they don't find him until the day of the show when he comes into the diner. Yeah. And then there's like, I think this is where we get another Dr. Teeth song that's also not remarkable. Yeah. We skipped over a lot. Oh, we should mention. Oh, we did. We skipped over the one other good song in this movie. (laughs) So we skipped over saying goodbye, the rat scat. There is a tie back to together again where Piggy and Kermit are taking a carriage ride shortly after they have reunited. Yes. And Piggy says, wouldn't it be great if we all knew each other when we were babies? And it cuts to a flashback. Of them as babies to cross-promote for the newly launched Muppet Babies cartoon. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's as ham-fisted as a thing could possibly be. Oh, yeah. But the Muppet Baby puppets do look pretty cute. They're so cute. And, like, honestly, I wish that the Muppet Babies looked like that. Yeah. But we do come out, and that gives us the song, uh, I'm Gonna Always Love You. Yes, which is just the weirdest song. Incredibly weird. She wants to grow up to practice neurosurgery and climb the Matterhorn and 
Also, be, be a good mommy, too. It's very much whenever you're a child and you're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you just name all the things that yep. if we didn't live in a capitalist hellscape, maybe one day you could attain. <laughs> but instead, you end up working for like pennies on the dollar, even with a degree from a university. And it, you live in a horrible, dystopic New York City <laughs> where you can't get your play picked up. All of that aside, it's a lot of fun. And I... The child in me very much loves the babies singing along and saying, Mama, Dada, Poop, Poop, Shuawa. Yeah. That, <laughs> I like that. It's dumb. Yep. It's bad. It's not highbrow by any means, but I enjoy it. Yeah. And, and we cut back out of that to Piggy imagining herself as a small child, like laying in Kermit's lap and sucking her thumb. That's a little odd. That's an odd note. Look, whatever Kermit and Piggy get up to on their own time yeah, is their business. we're not business. here to kink shame. Do your thing. <laughs> but it's kind of a weird transition back, but... It struck me as odd mostly because Piggy was wearing a glove, and that's a weird thing to do while sucking your yes, thumb. Yes, that is for sure awkward. <laughs> so Kermit goes back to the diner as Phil, his new ad frog persona. The Muppets find him, and they just... Mm -hmm kidnap him and take him to the theater because it's time to start the show. Yes, time to light the lights. And he gets his memory back when Piggy karate chops him. And that classic, like, ah, oh, just hit your head again and your memory will come back. Yep, that tired all trope that we yep. didn't need to visit in this already tropey ass movie. But here's a weird thing, is that everything that Kermit says here to Piggy whenever she's like, oh, but we were going to get married, and he just like, laughs in her face he lights her up yeah he is a hundred percent being a piece of shit asshole mark he is percent yep. but it is a little cathartic for me because <laughs> sure. because piggy <laughs> is such a piggy horrible place yeah just because piggy's horrible <laughs> like i <laughs> he shouldn't say any of those things that he's saying to her but is it is the tiniest bit cathartic for me because she is just wantonly abusive in most yep. of her roles and most of his riffs are about her being a pig. Yes. Which is amusing to me because Kermit just has a thing for pigs. Like there's Annie Sue, right. there's Denise. Like Kermit has a real type. So when he's like, why would I marry you? Like, Kermit, that's the only woman you're ever attracted to is that specific kind of woman. But like he goes hard, Mark. He doesn't. He does. Yeah. The gloves are like he ends it by just going, Sue. <laughs> yeah, boy. And that's a real like. Jim Henson liked to toe the line of working blue from time to time. Uh -huh. you know, he liked to, to build the Muppets as kind of family friendly, but subversive. And that's a real, that's one that gets right up against that line because Kermit's <laughs> yelling suey suey after saying like, oh yeah, this is what lovemaking sounds like. Right. <laughs> it's time to call the kids suey. Yeah. <laughs> it's, oh my God. It's, it's wild. It is wild. It was the end of sex and violence on television. Yeah. <laughs> so Kermit does get his memory back. They stage the show. Kermit realizes that what was missing was volume. So they need more frogs and dogs and bears and chickens and things. Kermit reached this conclusion, I think, Mark, on a metatextual level, because the <laughs> the writers of this movie <laughs> were sitting there and going, well, we got 15 minutes left. What if but more? What if just put more, what if what this movie's missing is just more movie? And so they crammed the whole, like, getting conked on the head, like, plot line on at the end. So then they just do a little bit of Manhattan Melodies. We get to see another little, like, five, ten minutes of it. We see the wedding piece, which is one of the big, like, set pieces of the show. Mm -hmm. There's a song, Somebody's Getting Married. Yeah. Which is a weird song, but it's an earworm. I don't love it, but it gets stuck mm -hmm. in my head every time I watch this movie, and I'll spend the next several yeah. days humming Somebody's Getting Married. Oh, especially the bit with the penguins where it's like, they're finally getting yep. married. Yep. Yeah, that part. And they stage a wedding, and they populate the church with all of the Muppets and Sesame Street puppets. It's a nice little moment. Mm -hmm. You're and, right, the Sesame and... Street puppets feel like they've betrayed Kermit a little here. Yeah, I understand they just need to find a place to put them, and I guess they decided yep. that, like, the Muppet Showcast needed to be on Kermit's side for whatever sure. reason. Sure, it's a Jim, you can do whatever you want. Frank, you can do right. whatever you want. Y'all know these characters better than me, but that's still a weird choice. And, like, this is where Piggy ends this movie with yet another shitty Piggy-ism, and it's like, right. 
I traded out Gonzo as acting as the priest, and I got a real priest here to actually trap you into actually getting married. <laughs> what this the is, fuck, pig? That's not so only is gross. It, yeah. It, not only is it terrible, it also shows... I mean, unless Piggy's, which maybe she is, out there like forging a whole bunch of documents, it really uh-huh. shows Piggy's ignorance here. Because there's a lot more that goes into getting married than just having a real minister standing there. Of course, There's a of lot course. of legwork that's got to go. But whatever. It's 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 all very weird. Uh, they end up getting married, except they don't because it's in the context of a movie in in the context of a show within the context of a movie. So these characters that are the Muppets that are being played by Jim Henson, Frank Oz, and everybody else, those characters do not get married, but the characters that they're playing in the movie do get married. Which is strange because the characters that they're playing in the movie are Kermit and Piggy. Yes, because they always just name themselves their names. (laughs) They're great, apparently, at writing whole-ass like scripts for themselves and playing roles, but names is just like a sticking point for them, I guess. (laughs) And in the wedding crowd is Uncle Travelin' Matt, who's a fraggle. Oh, fun. So that was a fun little thing there. (laughs) We outro on that wedding scene and then just sort of like a closing medley that ties a few of the themes back together. But it's it's an abrupt ending for a movie that spent 20 minutes at the end not knowing what to do with itself. It wraps up real quick. We don't get a reprise of Together Again, which would have been much better than The Wedding, I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It is palpable how much you were happy to see these characters get together again after a movie of Kermit trying to be funny. Yeah. (laughs) It's got its moments, and it still has the charm of, you know, Frank Oz performing Fozzie and Jim Henson performing Kermit. Like, it still has the charm of the characters, but I would argue that the movie itself doesn't have near the charm of the first two it feels to me personally like a like an 80s b movie also muppets are there that that feels about right so we need to rank it i think we've probably both tipped our hand as to where we're ranking it but before we do Mm -hmm. dan i'm so excited i'm so excited (laughs) i can fix this I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> Tell me how you're going to fix this, Mark. I, you haven't done one of these before. I haven't. And this is a quick one. This is a short I can fix this because we didn't plan to fit it into the show. But I think we've got enough time. Mm-hmm. I'll keep it brief. The biggest problem with this movie, as we've both identified, is it's very Kermit-centric without the rest of the Muppets being there. It's just this long, slow drag of Kermit not being very funny. And the problem with that is it's because it separated all of the other Muppets from Kermit for a long time. So I think the premise can stand, right? They all graduate college together. They go to Broadway. They try to sell their musical. Basically, everything that we said worked for us, you know, up through the meeting with the first producer, uh, living in the bus stop, all good. All of that stays. But instead of having Kermit give up and send his friends home, just have them rent like a garbage off Broadway, tiny, you know, 30 seat theater and desperately try to stage their show. Okay, okay. So you can keep the diner around right as where they go to eat and work afterwards. Piggy can still work there because none of them are making any money in this tiny, you know, black box theater Mm -hmm. you will need you know jerry jewel or someone better than me to figure out what they're doing but it gives you a chance to see them all repeatedly on stage working out the bits of their goofy musical and just all being together like scrappily staging a performance and then if you even want to you can keep the producer kid at the end he can still discover them and the show can still end with them like moving the show to broadway yeah I, I really do like that, and I don't want to butt into your thing, but like I Please do, do think it would be very cool if the place that they found was, I don't know, some rundown dingy theater with a hole in the roof. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
It'd be great. I and the Muppets together on stage in front of a semi-reluctant audience is a good yes. it's a good mix. And we can see them all working through the bits of the musical together and it just mm-hmm. lets them all stick around. And then we can we get a whole movie, Mark, of Statler and Waldorf just yelling right? at them. Yep. They're just like two old dudes who live nearby. And so they're just like showing up for most of the performances because what else are they going to do? You know, it's it's New York and there's a 10 cent show they can go see. Incredible. Yes. Yeah. So, hey, my first I can fix this. <laughs> it was brief. It wasn't as fleshed out as most of our I can fix this. Nope. If I had thought this up more than 20 minutes ago and not in the middle of a show, I would have came with more beats for it. But I think that framework just works a whole lot better. Keep all of the Muppets together and you'll have a lot more fun. I think so, for sure. That's the biggest point against this movie. It's just there's not (laughs) enough Muppets and there's too much of just Kermit and a bunch of rats we don't care about. And also Rizzo and Yolanda are there. Yep. All right. I guess ranking time. Ranking time. It's it's ranking time. I still don't know why (laughs) we haven't decided that this podcast is not just going to be us watching Rankin and Bass films and we could have just called it Rankin and Bass. Um so this movie's dead last so far of the movies that we've seen. Yeah. This is this isn't hard. <laughs> yeah, there's no equivocating that I need to do here to justify this, I feel. It is the worst of the three movies that we have seen. And I think that came across pretty clear and I was talking about it. <laughs> That while we love the Muppets, this movie does not do them the justice that they deserve. Yeah, so it's a real bummer. I mean, and, and again, you still get like the characters themselves shine, but the movie mm-hmm. clunks. It just clunks. We just don't get enough of those characters to like let them no. shine. <laughs> when they're on screen, they're fine, but they're not there very often. Yeah. And there's a lot of staged comedy bits, as you identified earlier, that just... Like maybe there's something funny in the framework of the bit, but they do they mm-hmm. just they don't land. So the entire middle of this movie is comedy setup after comedy setup mm-hmm. that just never really pays off well. So in one of the later movies, they do the Muppet Man. Imagine that in like when they're trying to be a big <laughs> Hollywood producer. Yep. <laughs> how much better yeah, would that have how been? How much more fun would that be than yeah? And again, you can see the framework of what would be fun here. And whether it comes down to like the script writing or just, you know, what we've proposed with the, the rest of the Muppets going away, like whatever it is, just most of them don't land. The movie survives on the talent of the puppeteers in the cast. You like the characters so much that the movie survives. But if you put anyone else into this, like if this were a human movie, it would just be a real bad movie, right? Yeah, I I mean, I still think it's not a good movie, but it would be especially bad if it didn't have the Muppets. (laughs) Yeah. Also, where were Bunsen and Beaker? I just realized they're not in this movie and you could have done so many fun things with them. They show up very briefly. I think it's in the wedding crowd. That makes sense. But neither of them have a speaking line. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is a real missed opportunity because those two are great. Yeah. Pops and Sam the Eagle are there as well. Like, yeah, think about the fun things you could have done with Sam the Eagle in a movie that takes place in New right? York. <laughs> God, y'all just dropping the ball here. Yeah. Just give us a movie that's 50 minutes. Like I said, put them staging a show. But this just like 50 minutes of them all poor in New York trying to figure out how to put a show. And we get the man. There's so much fun you could have with all of those characters. Yeah. With that purpose. being in New York. So, yeah, I guess we're both putting it at number three. For me, it's. My top three, my only three in this ranking so far are number three, The Muppets Take Manhattan, two, The Muppet Movie, I'm sorry, everybody listening, and one, The Great Muppet Caper. (laughs) Yep. And I've got it just slightly different with The Muppet Movie as my number one. But Muppets Take Manhattan, total agreement that this is the the kind of the floor of the original Muppets. Mm -hmm. And speaking of... Because, boy, this podcast is going to it's going to change gears real hard. What is coming up next? So up next, Mark, we're breaking chronology a bit because of our schedule. Bit. Just a little bit. We'll come back. Don't worry. I know everybody is, would that knows the Muppet chronology would be excited going into this. But we'll come back. I promise. It's just the schedule worked out where we could conveniently put it out when it needs to come out. So, instead of where we both probably want to go after this movie, next up, (laughs) we're going to watch The Muppets Treasure Island. The Third One Sucks is a Retrograde Orbit Radio production. 
you like the show, make sure to rate and review it on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us out. Follow us on Twitter at the third one sucks or email us at the third one sucks at gmail.com where we can chat about episodes and take your suggestions on what you would like us to cover in the future. That's the, the number three, rd1sucks at gmail.com. If you aren't already tired of our voices, you can check out our other projects, including Mindful Self-Indulgence, where Dan interviews folks about the media that has most impacted their lives, and Mount Olympus, where Mark and a panel of friends watches and reviews the Hercules and Xena television franchises, along with the rest of the Retrograde Orbit Radio family of podcasts at retrogradeorbitradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again in the sequel. I am a child of the 80s, so like every good late-gen Xer or early boomer, I have a lot of affection for the terrible movie, <laughs> the terrible music of that era. Early millennial, not early boomer, unless you have a time machine. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs>